Well, good morning and welcome to each one of you, visitors included. We have a beautiful Lord's Day to uh, come before him in worship, and I trust we do that. Appreciated the devotional. God is still protecting his people. Right now it doesn't look like it over there, but I'm sure he's there, and I'm sure you all know that. You know, the Bible predicted thousands of years ago that the end-time events would revolve around Jerusalem. And in Zechariah 12, 2 and 3, God says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be what? Anybody finish it? Cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So we're seeing Bible prophecy fulfilled in our lifetime. It's happening before our very eyes. Now, we're not seeing this part of Zechariah yet, I do not believe, because we're, we're seeing people that are still supporting. In fact, the U.S., interestingly enough, is supporting Israel. But the time will come when Zechariah is talking about here that, and Ezekiel says, no one supports them. So we're not quite there yet, but brothers and sisters, I believe we're very close. We're very close, and I thought that uh, I would uh, look at something this morning that I shared at Cornerstone a month or so ago, and some of you here ask about, had some questions about my message there, and so I thought I would share it again this morning, but I think it's, it's very fitting that we look at heaven, and I've entitled the message, The Heavenly City. You know, before I start that, and of course you would have expected me to say something about prophecy, so that's why I was talking about that there, but... My message is on heaven this morning. We have a saying at Cook's in the morning that we get a lot of our, those of us like Dave Harper, who is a minister at, at uh, pastor at the Baptist Church, and a couple of others that are, that are in the leadership roles. We get our examples and we get our thoughts from the people that are there. And we have a visitor here this morning that is there almost every morning. Good friend of mine. I'm not going to have him stand up. I'm not going to embarrass him. He knows who he is. But everybody basically knows him as UPS Andy. He's Andy Schmidt. He lives in Elkhart. Has wife and three daughters. I had two daughters, so there's many similarities in our lives. He was a Catholic, became a Christian. He loves the Lord. He really loves the Lord. And I appreciate that. The heavenly city. You can turn to Revelation 21. Because most of the time I will be there in Revelation 22. I'll be referring to some other scriptures. 
I had given this message at Cornerstone. I didn't realize it at the time that I was asked and that I prepared the message, but it was right after Jonathan Martin's funeral. And so we talked about heaven that morning. I trust that that is a place that each one of us is looking forward to going. And maybe you even dream about it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But heaven is real. It's a real place. And I, like I said, I trust all of us are planning on and have, have made arrangements. We bought our ticket. We're ready to go. Because there, it seems to me like there's in every human heart, regardless of where you stand on uh, your belief in the Bible and everything, but I think in, in every heart there's the desire for home. You go away for a while and it's, what do you want to do? You want to go home. Well, we've been away for a while, and then I'm ready to go home. The real home, the home that we've been waiting for. And this desire can only be fulfilled partially here in the present, but someday we who have by faith believed in Jesus as our Savior are going home. Someone said, if nothing in this world satisfies me, perhaps it's because I was made for another world. And the song came to my mind, This World Is Not My Home. There's a song that I used at Cornerstone. I won't necessarily use it here, but I'll refer to it. But it's a song that uh, was going through my mind at the time that I, that I prepared this message. And we're in Revelation, where John saw a lot of things. And the song is a very familiar song, I think probably to most of you, but... New Jerusalem, John saw a city that could not be hidden. John saw a city, oh yes he did. John caught a glimpse of the golden throne. Tell me all about it, go right on. Around the throne he saw the crystal sea. There's got to be more, what will it be? I want to go to that city he saw, the New Jerusalem. Jerusalem, I want to walk your streets that are golden. I want to run where the angels have trod. Jerusalem, I want to rest on the banks of your river in that city, the city of God. I'm not going to sing that. Don't have to worry. I have walked the streets of Jerusalem here on earth, but there's a new Jerusalem coming. That'll be totally different than the one that we walk when we go to Israel. But Jesus assured his disciples in John 14, and, and uh, you know these verses in 1 through 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there ye may be also. We have an invitation right there. Where I am, you can be. And I trust that each one of us are ready to go to that. The word mansions, there is rooms, basically. Places to stay, a residence. It's interesting, the root, the root word used for the Holy Spirit indwelling believers is the same word here. Have you made room in your heart? in your life for the Holy Spirit 
He wants to come and dwell there. Have you done that? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's been approximately 2,000 years that he's been preparing that city. Nathan, you're a builder. Does it take you 2,000 years to build something? What would it look like if you'd spend that much time on it? Pretty nice, right? Hopefully, anyway. In, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, John uses the term city 11 times to refer to heaven. This is not just a figure of speech. If we would turn to Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, where we see all those people that it lists there, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse 16 then says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. You were supposed to finish that. A place. A place where he himself dwells. The fatherland. He is... They look forward to that, and I trust that we're all looking forward to it. But our most detailed description of heaven is found, of course, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And I trust that you're there because I want to read the first four verses of chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And remember, Peter tells us in 2 Peter that it was destroyed by fire, and we believe that. And there was no more sea. And I, saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So to gain appreciation for just how marvelous heaven will be, we need to understand the nature, the dimension of the city that will be its capital. Now the new Jerusalem is not all of heaven, But it appears like it is the capital city of heaven. Remember, verse 1 tells us there's a new heaven and a new earth. So this city is the capital city of heaven, just like Jerusalem is God's chosen city today on earth. There are some things that I want to notice about our heavenly home. Let's imagine that we're standing on a vast plain with the heavenly city towering over us in It's all of its beauty. And I think when I think of a vast plain, I think of the plains of Dakota and the plains of the West where you see nothing. You can look for miles and see nothing, but we have this beautiful city above us. And the first thing that is probably going to strike us is the sheer immense, the immenseness of the city. 
Someone tell me how big it is? Turn to, to in chapter 21 to verses 15 through 17. 15 says, And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he that measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. Now that one there is, the wall there is pretty easy to figure out, but I am going to be using some numbers that I myself did not figure out. I'm taking other, other people's uh, measurements. How tall is this wall? 216 feet. A wall around the city is 216 feet. The size of New Jerusalem is hard to comprehend. Sometimes the question is asked, how is heaven going to be big enough to hold all the saved down through all the ages? And I'm going to try to show us this morning some of the dimensions and how big it really is. Like I said, I'm using other people's figures. The city's dimensions here are measured by an angel. It appears to be cube-shaped with each side measuring 12,000 furlong or stadia. That's the root word for that, and that means the stadiums. And if you were with us ever in Caesarea, we walked through a stadium a couple times. In Caesarea, the racetrack stadium. I'm not sure how long that is, but I'm... I'm, well, we'll get to that. But it's nearly 1,500 miles square. 1,500 miles square. Heaven will not be crowded. For the base of the city alone adds up to more than 200 million square miles. A city this size, if placed in the United States, would reach from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains in the east to the western California border. And if we allow 12 feet per story, most homes do not have 12-foot ceilings, but if we allow 12 feet per story, the city would be more than tall. Someone give me the number? No, you won't, because it's unbelievable. It's nearly 700,000 stories high when you take that figured out that way. 700,000 stories. I believe that within this beautiful city we will find the personal dwelling places Jesus had prepared for the bride, his bride, which is the church, the, the church of Jesus Christ. John 14.2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Must be a beautiful place. Now someone has estimated that 
20 billion people could live in an area this large with each person able to have a private 75-acre mansion. You think there's enough room in heaven for all of us? I do. For every person that has ever named the name of Christ, from Adam to the last one when the Lord returns. So let's look at the description of the city. I want to point out some of the features that John tells us about the New Jerusalem. In 21 again, in 12 and 13, in verse 21, we, taught, we see the pearly gates. Verse 12 says, and it had a, a wall great and high. Remember, we just said it's 216 feet. And had 12 gates. So now if you have the gates in the city, that means those, and the walls are 216 feet high. I assume it's saying these gates are 216 feet high. And they're made of pearl. We think we have big pearls when they're maybe as big as your finger, tip of your finger. That would be big, but this is tremendous. And the gates, 12 angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, and on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now, like I said, not one gate, but 12 gates, and each of a pearl. Now, we know how pearls are created. It's through suffering and travail, basically, that, that the way that it's created in, an, in the oyster. So each time that you and I enter into those gates we should remember that our entrance was only possible because of the suffering, the pain, and death of our Lord and Savior. It was only for what he went through that we have the right, in the shedding of his blood, that we have the right to enter that gate. The foundation of precious stones, in verse 19 and 20. After the gates of pearl, we notice that the foundations of the city and normally, foundations are underground, where they can't be seen, but in, uh, that's not the case here, for the foundation supporting the wall is fully visible, and it's got to be indescribably beautiful. I, I think when I, if I can surmise John here when he was there, he had been taken to heaven, he had been shown all these things, and I'm guessing he's seen things that he had never seen before. And so often I think we see John only describing the best that he could for all that he knew and in describing some of these things. But a building's greatest strength lays in its foundation. And this one is, is built not on just one, but on 12. And the scripture also tells us that the 12 apostles are the foundation Number three there, we see the streets of gold in verse 21. So we enter the streets of that city, we discover that the streets are pure gold. It says as transparent glass. I can't really picture that. But the home of the redeemed is a place of beauty and radiance. 
like I said, basically beyond what John could even describe. In verse 23, we also see that the Lamb is the light of it. One of the greatest things in heaven is not the glory of the city itself, but the Lamb who is the light. And before I forget it, there's one thing that I want to say. We're looking at the city, we're looking at everything that is there and how big it is and how beautiful it is. But you know what? I think it's Jesus is the one I want to see first. He's the, he's the one that I want to see. The rest will come after. But when I stop and think of what all he has done for me, then I want to see his face first. Verse 23, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now the prophet Isaiah had already foretold that. In Isaiah 60, verse 19, he says, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. In the new Jerusalem, there'll be no electric lights, no generators, no lamps of any kind, because they are unnecessary. And that presence of that light will radiate throughout the city. It's coming from the Lamb who sits upon the throne. Are you ready to go? I think we're very close. The river of life and the tree of life we also find in the city. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." So if you get lost in this city, which I don't think we will, you know, we're human now, we think of that, we could get lost in a city that big. Well, find the river and follow the river because the river leads to the throne. And on each side of the river are not just a tree, but the trees of life. This tree once stood in the center of the Garden of Eden. But after Adam's sin, after Adam's fall, the tree of life was removed to heaven, which according to Revelation 2.7 is where it is today. The city will not only be characterized by what is in it, but what is absent from it. So we want to look at some of those things this morning. Verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears, every tear, from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So no more tears. He says that there will become a time when he will wipe every one of them away. There will be no more death, no funeral possessions, no cemeteries to mow, no more pain. I know that some here today live with pain every day of your life. Some of you are physically hurting. 
but you came to church anyway. Thank you for that. Pain is something that some of us deal with constantly. For others, the pain is not physical. It's emotional pain that you deal with. Pain here is a part of our life, is it not? But God says, over there, there's no more pain. No more pain. No pain in heaven. Bill, you're not going to need that wheelchair. I had to think of Hannah Mary. She's usually here. She's not here in a wheelchair. No need for those. And I have a hunch that it'll be easier to get out of bed if we go to bed than what I find sometimes. Are you looking forward to this? Good. Thank you. There's an absence of something else that I'm really looking forward to. Sin. Sin will be absent. Verse 8 in chapter 21 says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death means it's eternal separation. Eternal separation. Verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 21, verse 27 says, and there, shall, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. People whose lives are characterized by the eight traits listed here in, ver- in verse 8 will be excluded, not included, excluded. So let's look at some of these here. The fearful. The New King James Version says cowardly. For those who are apprehensive and lack confidence and turn back from following, God, uh, following Jesus. It is the cowardly who deny Jesus because of the fear of man. Maybe you're afraid to say something. That's cowardly. Those who fear to stand boldly for him lest they be ridiculed by others. Those are the ones who are manifesting the spirit of cowardice. The unbelieving are those who refuse to trust Jesus for salvation. They deny the truth of his word. And John 3.18 plainly says, if we don't believe, we're condemned already. The abominable, which means polluted, speaks of those who have allowed themselves to become stained, Contaminated with the evil of the world, they pursue the the styles of living that are contrary to the teachings of the Bible. The murderers are those who have a disregard for the value of human life. Everyone knows that murder involves more than just sticking a knife into another person in order to take its life. You know, it's possible to cast looks that are filled with murder and speak words that are intended to kill others. Another one that is excluded. Says the whoremongers, which is New King James, says the sexually immoral are those that are caught up in rape, incest, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and a whole realm of 
of related impurities like that there. The sorcerers are those who use evil supernatural powers over people. Sorcery includes magic, spiritism, witchcraft, demon worship. Now the Greek words for sorcerers is, and this is Greek, I'm going to try to pronounce it, pharmakius, pharmakus, meaning the use of drugs. We get our word pharmacy from that, from the word sorcerers. Drugs is a big problem. That will be excluded. The idolaters are those who worship false gods, including those who are given over to covetousness and selfishness, which Colossians and Ephesians both tell us that are idolatrous. The liars are those who practice falsehood, either in speech or in silence. Yes, you can lie by remaining silent. God condemns all who make a lie, speak a lie or act out a lie. Now, I want to be very clear. The text here does not say that everyone who has ever committed any of these sins will be excluded from heaven. But those whose lives are habitually characterized by these and have not repented. I think we have all committed some of these sins. But I trust we have all repented from these sins. And so we can be included. But if we have not, we are excluded. Very plain, the scriptures, I think, in this area. So the only ones in heaven will be those whose names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, and who have overcame by the blood that he shed for each one of us. It's all about the blood. I believe that when we enter heaven, we will say, this is the city that I've been looking for all my life. This is home, though I never knew it till now, until I get there. Now, if there's not, if it weren't for the hope of heaven, this life would seem to be impossible at times. We're going through some things right now in the world that it looks pretty bleak, doesn't it? But we have hope. We need to realize that the hope of heaven is not a means of escaping the difficulties in this life. In fact, just the opposite is true because the hope of heaven is the means by which we can face the realities of this life. We know there's something ahead. We know there's something waiting for us. And those of us who have named the name of Christ and he lives within our hearts and lives, we know that this is waiting for us. It's been promised to us. God never goes back on his promises. So we have a tremendous hope, don't we? I trust that we do. The Bible says we're strangers and pilgrims in this country that's called earth. Another place we are called ambassadors, which we are to let everyone else know about this place that we're, we're going to, where we're from, and where we're going back to. So we're ambassadors. We live in tents. Now, we live in temporary dwellings, but we are headed for a glorious city. We may live uh, on shifting sand here, but we're looking for a city with foundations, a city that will never fall, a city whose builder and maker is none other than Jesus Christ, that carpenter from the little town of Nazareth.
Do you know where you're going when you pass from this life? I ask each of us this morning, do we know where we're going? If you don't, I trust that you will make arrangements for that. Is your life flying by without any real direction or purpose? Do you have the assurance that if you died today that you would wake up in heaven with Jesus for eternity? Are you sure? If so, praise God. But if not, then make sure. You know, I had to think of, uh, in fact, I'm just going to ask you to do it. Everybody look here. Everybody looking at me. Okay, everybody's looking at me, right? I can't see all of you back there, but that's okay. Now blink. I would understand that the rapture happens quicker than that blink. That's how quick that we are going to leave here. I believe a lot of us will be leaving that. Some may pass from this life and death, but that quick we will see the Lord. No time to change anything at that point. We have to be ready now. You know, we can dream about heaven. And here's a quote that I learned this week from Andy. I didn't realize he was going to be here, but I had it in my message. We dream about heaven, right? Well, here's a quote that I learned. Life is not made from the dreams that you dream, but the choices that you make. Life is not made from the dreams that you dream, but the choices that you make. And I have used three words in my ministry for years. A lot of you know what it is. What's the three D's? Decision determines destiny. So again, we have a choice. Are we making good choices this morning? Revelation 3, verse 12 says, He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall, he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Revelation 21.10 says, And he carried me away in the spirit of a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Revelation 22.19 says, And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So we're looking for a city, right? Here among the shadows in a lonely land, we're a band of pilgrims on the move, burdened down with sorrows, shunned on every hand, looking for a city built above. Yes, looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sainted millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. Come, O Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. I hope all of us this morning have had our hopes renewed. 
the hope of heaven, the hope of seeing Jesus face to face. And we're longing for our heavenly home with our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning in the quietness of this hour before a congregation of your people. Father, we would just pray that we are all looking forward to what you have prepared for us. And Father, I would just pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior and is not ready to go to this place that we make our choices now. Yes, we can dream about heaven, but there's some choices that we have to make to be able to go there. And so I would just ask that you would just walk in and among us here this morning. Help us that each one of us would look at our lives truly because you already see them. You already know what's there. And if there's anything there that is in the list that is of those that will be excluded from heaven, Father, help us to make things right before it is forever too late. We just ask that you would bless each one that is here. Help us to continue to honor and to glorify you in the things that we do and say as we go throughout this next week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.